Welcome back to the 17th podcast in our sermon series, Finding Jesus in Ecclesiastes. I'm Dan Rambeck, one of the elders at City on a Hill Church, located in Rosemount, Minnesota. Our service is live-streamed every Sunday at 10 a.m. from our YouTube channel. Join us as Bruce Bentley continues our series with a sermon titled, Be Joyful. We are in this series uh, going through the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're just joining us, we are in chapter 11 of the book of Ecclesiastes. This past week, we looked at the beginning of the end of the book. And there's three big things that really ought to jump out and slap us across the face in chapters 11 and 12. And last week was this idea of going boldly out into this life and into this world in response to all these things that the preacher of Ecclesiastes has been laying out and repeating and emphasizing in this world filled with vanity, uh, that there is an end game here, that the game will be over at some time, that, that as we live this life, it is costly. We will discover it is unfair, it is unpredictable, and yes, it is even dangerous, these things that we live with. So because, not in spite of, but because all those things are realities that the preacher keeps emphasizing, uh, because that is life under the sun, we need to go boldly into this life, into this world, especially if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, don't shrink back, but go forward. So how do, that was last week, so how do we do that? What makes going boldly possible? What makes it uh, real more than just an idea, more than what I'm just uh, shouting out at you right now? What makes going boldly an actual reality for us and for our church? You can go boldly because, because you live joyously. This morning we read about it in that psalm, we sang about it, and now we're going to see what the preacher tells us about that. I was trying to find a, a, just the right image to portray for us what joy is, and I settled on this kid, <laughs> so I don't know if that does it for you, but there's something in that look and then that mouth gaping wide open that says, and especially as kids can do better than we do as adults most of the time, I love this life, and I love you, God, and I love you people around me, and there is something deep in me that just says, I'm going to respond in joy to whatever this moment, whatever this day brings my way. That's where we're going this morning. So, three things the preacher tells us about what it means to live in joy that's going to come out of this passage. It's short, just verses 7 through 10, and here's how it reads. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, 
for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So he's sticking with that theme. He keeps reminding us it's a vapor, it's a mist, it's here, life that we have, uh, it it will be gone. It's vanity in that sense, as this this, uh, uh, passage, English Standard Version, uh, translates it for us. It's vanity, but in the midst of that, there is what he keeps repeating and emphasizing, joy, the ability to rejoice. So three things he wants us to know about joy this morning. Number one, joy is impermanent, verses seven and eight. So if you just looked at that for the first time, let me read it for you again. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. We start off with what I think the preacher is trying to do. It's kind of an illustration. Light is sweet and is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. I, people think I'm a morning person, and I'm truly not. It's the coffee speaking, okay? You get enough of that in your bloodstream, you, you're not yourself, really. I don't like getting up in the morning. Jennifer will tell you that. But I'm glad, once I'm finally up, I'm glad I'm up. And one of the best, the, the things I enjoy the most about a new day, if I'm up early enough, is to see the sun come up. Is anybody with me on that? This morning, when I saw the sun as I'm driving here, uh, it's just starting to peek up over the horizon, and the color that spreads out over the sky from the clouds and the rays of sunlight shooting out, it's like nothing you see the rest of the day, maybe other, you know, to compete with a sunset perhaps, but there's something fresh and new that comes with the color and, and, the, and the wow factor of a beautiful sunrise. Am I right? If you're up early enough, you get to enjoy that. Uh, One more Utah story. When I was back in Utah this past October, uh, and I'm standing in line for the shuttle van to take me to the start of this uh, uh, half marathon in the middle of nowhere, and I'm mad at myself because I'm late, and I'm looking at my watch, and all the time, and I'm going to be too late to get the airplane and all that jazz, and I'm standing in line really out in this parking lot in the middle of nowhere, and the sun's coming up, and I think... There's, I don't know, there's like 200 people in line. This is a long line, maybe more than that. And we're standing there, and the sun's coming up, and like everybody on cue is like, oh, <laughs> looking at the color that was just exploding in front of us. And some people in line, which I was kind of glad because I got to go further ahead in line, they're running, they're leaving their place in line and running over where this uh, rock outcropping was and getting out their phones to take a picture. It's probably the most beautiful sunrise I've ever seen in my life. Now, I didn't try to take the picture because of this. It's kind of a momentary thing. Uh, you can try, you get your, ca- your phone camera out and try to take a picture, right? And you try to show somebody, uh, and it always, it, it always fails, Right? You look at your screen, it was so much better than that, right? You try to express it to somebody else. Why is that? Because it's just a moment in time, and it goes away. As the sun rises, the colors change. It's not as brilliant as before, but just that moment, when the color, when everything clicks in that moment, ah, that's why I think the preacher is saying light is sweet. As the sun comes up, there is something glorious in it 
that we are drawn to, that we enjoy. But as he goes on to remind us, light is just for a, it's just for a day. The sun rises, it sets, and then the end of another day. You only get to enjoy it for the time that you have right then. So folks, brothers and sisters, we don't know how much time we have. The preacher continues to emphasize it, even in this passage. But for this time, remember to be filled with joy. The moments we have right now are this amazing, beautiful, glorious, colorful gift for you from our Creator. Be filled with joy and the opportunity you have to live it and to enjoy it. That is a legitimate thing. What an amazing gift we have right now in our lives. Now, he even goes on to say, uh, it talks about young men, and uh, what verse is it? Uh, that's verse 9, rejoice, O young man. So if, uh, in the, the big perspective of things, if you're still alive this morning, you're a young person, okay? So there's no, oh, but I'm not that person yet. All oh, that part, well, part of your life, if you're older, like some of us, part of that life that you had is over. Yep, but in the big picture of things, your heart's still beating, you're still a young person. And you have this glorious gift of today to be joyful in how you're gonna live it. Ran across this awesome quote this morning, or this past week. Inside every old person is a young person wondering what happened. Now, if you've been around for a while, you read that. I, when I read that, I had to stop. That is so true, isn't it? You, if, if you've been around for a few years, uh, you still on the inside feel like you're a young person. And every once in a while, when you look at the mirror, oh, that happened, right? Oh, I, I'm really not that young person anymore. Things have changed, yeah? That's kind of a painful reality in life under the sun. But on the inside, I'm still young. I don't feel 50. I still like to get outside. I still like to try to enjoy whatever I still got to live. That's where he's taking what? us this morning. To be reckless, I think is a good word to use, because so many of us are kind of stingy in the way that we experience and enjoy life. Don't go there. He is leading us in a whole, the preacher is leading us in a whole different direction. Stinginess is not next to godliness. Don't go there. If you have been, and maybe that's a preference because of the way you were raised. I can say this. I don't know if my dad would admit it or not. He's the tightest man I've ever known. Uh, you know, squeak when you walk thing, pinch a penny, you know, all those different metaphors, all those different sayings. That was the way we were raised. Life, for some people, life is meant to be endured. Maybe you were raised like that. While others were raised with a whole different mantra, that life is meant to be enjoyed. That no, whether you got a lot of money or you got nothing, it doesn't matter. You can still enjoy it. So you see those con the contrast? The preacher says life 
is sweet like the sun and the rays of the sun, and you've got an opportunity to live it. Stinginess, holding back, ultra-conservative in the way that you do things, that is not God in any way. That does not reflect the joy, the glory of our Creator. He created joy, and He lives in it in perfect unity within the Trinity, and He pours it out on us in, in any number, in numerous ways, all the time. Stinginess is not the response that we should have with the, with the glorious gift that we have every minute. So, why are these things true? Why can he say in almost scandalous words in verse 9, to walk in the ways of your heart? Now, there's context to that. And if you've been a part of this series and you go back, Solomon, we think he's the author of this book. Uh, in the very beginning of the book, he tries out different things, right? And sometimes you think he's gone too far with what he's tried. But there, it, there is a reality here that within what God, the parameters, the glory, the, the way God has, has designed and created, we can experience and enjoy a lot. Walk in the ways of the passions that God has put in you and enjoy it. Am I sounding scandalous yet? <laughs> I don't know. Is this right or not? <laughs> yes! We far too often we hold back when we should be pouring out, as I think that's where I think the preacher is taking us. Why? Why am I saying all these things? Because joy is serious business with God. And maybe you haven't thought about God and your relationship with God like that or in those terms. But I'm telling you, God is about joy. And he is serious about joy in the way that he lives, in the way that he reigns, in the way that he wants us to respond to him. So, let's move on here. Joy is impermanent. It's going to end. Live it up while you have the opportunity today. And joy as imperative. Verse 9, rejoice, O young man. Remember, that's all of us. Okay? In your youth and let your heart cheer you. In the days of your youth, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. There is there's the parameter. There is the... The limitation, if you will, uh, it's not a free-for-all. God or the preacher here is not endorsing sin or immorality in any way, shape, or form. Okay, But within those really huge parameters and guidelines, there is joy to live in. So let's let's push this even further. Okay, We're just starting to scratch the surface. The preacher here gives us a few imperatives. He says, Imperative, rejoice and let your heart cheer you. Also, he says, walk in the ways of your heart. Not in a sinful way that will bring judgment, but a way that rejoices in God's ways. Okay? So there are imperatives here. We are to walk and we are to rejoice. We, there are action steps here. Imperative means you and I, we're supposed to be doing these things. You don't get to look at it and say, well, that's an option. <laughs> These are imperatives. We are to do them. It's not an option. 
So I ran across this this past week. Uh, I thought it was a great uh, quote. I even put it in big, bold print. Uh, it's an old commentary. Uh, I haven't read the rest of his commentary, but Sao says this. Human beings are supposed to enjoy life to the full because uh, th- that there is divinely full because that that is their, there I go, that they, that is their divinely assigned portion. And God calls one into account for failure to enjoy. Okay? Have I thrown you off yet? Enjoyment is not only permitted, it is commanded. It is not only an opportunity, it is a divine imperative. All right, so let that sink in, okay? We will be held into account, calls one to account, for failure to enjoy. When I said joy is serious business with God, Scripture affirms that uh, which I've just said. You don't believe me? There are lots of examples. We'll just take one. The psalm that we read earlier uh, alludes to it. There are uh, plenty of examples in the original Testament that when the curse of the covenant comes into play, that there is a reason, and it's not just because they did bad things, that Israel broke the law. There's more to it that I never really took seriously uh, until more recently in my life. Uh, Because it always seems so, uh, the way I was raised and kind of the, the stinginess factor, that God really isn't about joy And he really doesn't want me to enjoy myself too much because that may lead me into sin, right? So the response is the opposite extreme. So it's important for us to understand what God is about. So Deuteronomy chapter 28, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the original Testament. Deuteronomy is Moses telling the people, reminding the people of the covenant that the previous generation made. So if you know anything about the original testament, well, the people, they came out of Egypt, Moses led them out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, then is the giving of the law in response to God's salvation, now walk in this way because you're my people. Uh, God has a plan for his people. His people begin to reject him and grumble and complain in the desert, okay? And then... uh, Part of the judgment is those people aren't going to enter into the promised land because they rejected God's plan for them. So then fast forward to Deuteronomy, the people that are now living don't remember the whole exodus out of Egypt thing personally. They weren't there for that. They're the next generation. So it's super important that this new generation of people, of Israelites, know what came before them. So Deuteronomy is written. They have this refresh course uh, on what happened and the giving of the law and all the laws that are associated, and then the covenant is renewed. A covenant is a sacred agreement. In this sense, a sacred agreement between God and his people, okay? So there's always details. There's fine print in every legal document, so there's kind of fine print here. So when a covenant with God is established, there are always blessings and curses. Uh, in, in the original Testament, you'll find it in different places. And in Deuteronomy, it's chapter 28. So there are blessings. If you obey, if you follow me, God is saying through Moses, then you'll be blessed. 
And the examples are extreme blessing, overwhelming, wonderful things. But if you transgress, if you disobey, there are curses. And then the chapter goes on at length to describe really terrible, really awful things that will happen as a result of God enjoying pain? No. As a result of their rejecting God. So it's laid out, and if you read, we don't, we're not going to read the whole, it's a long chapter. We're not going to read the whole thing. I'll just give you a snippet of it. But if you read the whole thing, it is, it is given to the people in past tense in many places. It's as if their disobedience has already happened. It's kind of like predict, it's like prophecy, really, uh, uh, projecting this, this is going to happen. You are, and, and then it did. Uh, the people, you know, there's no sign anywhere in the original testament that the people ever really obeyed god ever i mean maybe for a few moments when it felt good when it was easy uh, but we don't have a record of they actually did this so what we do have a record of is they're rejecting and they're disobeying and over generations even centuries of time god keeps calling his people come back come back repent Remember me, I'm your God. The voice through the kings and through the prophets over and over and over again and finally time's up. And all of those curses that are spelled out in the fine print of the covenant happen. And the people go, what? So before all of that, Moses is telling the people in chapter 28, this is coming, why? Is it all about direct disobedience and rejecting the laws, well, that's part of it. But we also have this, that a lot of people don't realize this verse is there as a part of the curses of rejecting the covenant. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things, and he goes on to lay out the rest of the curses that happen. It's not, listen, listen to me, please listen. It's not good enough with God to just be a good person. It's not good enough to just not do bad things. To try to be a better moral person to somehow, I mean, nobody says it like this, to earn points with God but somewhere deep within us, we still think that that's possible with most of us. I know it is with me. It always keeps popping back up. It's not good enough to just not do the bad things. Now, Israel didn't do that either. But the, one of the main reasons that the curses come is because they didn't do joy. You see that? It's there. It's undeniable. They... now. Think about this, okay? This whole time in the desert, in the wanderings, before Moses ever pens, writes, whatever, uh, scribbles down these words, they have had the joy of the presence of the living God with them in the tabernacle, around the tabernacle, leading them through the desert. For all of these thousands and thousands of people, there is no denying the miraculous and the power of God as he provided water and manna and delivered them from their enemies and he's there in the tabernacle and the smoke and the fire 
and there, it's all there. There are times when all of us say, oh, why doesn't God do stuff like that again? He doesn't need to because that's not necessary and it doesn't work anyway. It doesn't change hearts. Israel is the perfect example. They had the presence of God within their camp and they still rejected him. Are you kidding me? Guess what? We'll do the same thing. We could be in the presence of a burning, living, smoke-filled, thunder, ground-shaking God and still walk away unchanged because the heart needs more than the smoke and the light show. The heart always does. It always will. There is something missing, and that is joy. That is gladness. Where? Of the heart. From the heart. The people, even early on, they traded joy and gladness in the presence of God with duty and obligation. They reduced the law to just more stuff that we have to do. They didn't even do that. And they lost God. We've got to learn, brothers and sisters, the story is there. Are we doing the same thing? Are you doing the same thing? Do you reduce a relationship with God to at least this week, I didn't do the bad things I did last week, so I'm sort of better for it. Without joy, there is judgment. And that joy got to come from the heart. We focus many times on all the wrong things. So, one more thing. Joy is impermanent. Joy as an imperative. Joy fully empowered. Where does he take us? Verse 10. Uh, Even verse 9 and 10, he speaks of the heart. Rejoice, O man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart. Verse 10, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. That, you know, joy in the, in the present tense, it, there is limitation to that. There is a vanity. There is an end to it. But he keeps drawing us into his, the depth, the heart of his message, which is our hearts, okay? Serving the Lord with joy and gladness is a heart issue. issue. Israel, sometimes we fail to do this, and there is a curse and judgment. Uh, it's what was lacking in the Garden of Eden. There was no joy in response to God. In fact, God, you're holding something back from me. Uh, the absence of joy and gladness in a relationship with God was there, and we continue sometimes even today to perpetuate that. We doubt that, that knowing God is good enough to fill me with his joy, and then we, what, you know, in the absence of that, we we tend to re, uh, respond with and lean on emotional joy, which I'd say really isn't joy in a biblical sense. It's happiness. We can be happy for a while. Happiness is good. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But compared to joy in Christ, it always leaves you empty and longing for more. That's where the preacher is leading us. Uh, to be filled with his joy begins with a relationship with Christ. So, like Israel, we can be judged for not being joyful enough. 
let me tell you something. Oh, man, this is great. This book by David Gibson, Living Life Backward, uh, it was uh, an, one of the books that I leaned on a lot during this whole series. And uh, there's one quote. I didn't type the whole thing. It was too long. Um, when it comes to the stuff of this day even, that we can find joy in, that God has given us, and our enjoyment should be deep and wide and rich, and even in the little things, even in coffee, okay? I drink a lot of it, <laughs> and probably too much of it, and a little jittery even right now, but, you know, coffee, is that a God joy thing? Uh, ran across uh, this passage, so... Uh, the, the scholar's name is John Stott. He's no longer with us. He died a few years ago. Very influential in the evangelical church worldwide. Uh, wrote a ton, spoke a lot. I actually heard him speak when I was in college. Uh, an amazing individual, contributed much to the kingdom and the understanding of the gospel. Uh, so the author here, uh, Gibson, uses this story from a biography about John Stott. So one of his study assistants who worked with him closely, I think it's his nephew, he calls him Uncle John, so he has this great interaction with John Stott. So you think of Scott, like old scholars, this curmudgeon you know, guys hunched over, and maybe they are, uh, but there is a depth to his understanding of the gospel and joy, and this story reveals some of that. So in the bi biographer says this, every afternoon at 4.30 p.m., I bring Uncle John a cup of coffee. As soon as I set the cup on his desk, he almost always says somewhat playfully, I'm not worthy. Usually without moving his bowed head from his papers. I love that. He says, I'm not worthy. I feel like that all the time. Okay. One afternoon last week, I felt that it was particularly silly for him to equate worthiness with a cup of coffee. When he said, I'm not worthy, I responded, sure you are. After a few moments, he said, you haven't got your theology of grace right. I said back, it's only a cup of coffee, Uncle John. As I went into his kitchen and began putting things away, I heard him mutter, still with his head bowed to his papers, it's just the thin end of the wedge. Think about it. It's just the thin edge of the wedge. If you can't stop and be joyful, even in the, th the little things that we take for granted, the wedge increases in size, right? Then how are you ever going to be joyful and appreciative and grateful with the big things in life? Isn't that a great illustration? I, I love thinking of him just the thin edge of the wedge. I just love trying to picture him. It's so true. Is a cup of coffee something to be joyful and, 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 and respond in gratitude from God? I say yes. The fact that you got up this morning and got into a car that worked, <laughs> even if it's sitting out in the cold, is that something to be joyful about? Yes. If you have ears that work this morning and eyes that work, yep, that's something to be joyful about. If you have the opportunity to enjoy the life that God gave you, by living it to the fullest today or this week to experience or try something new and to enjoy it? Yes. If you then enjoy those things, then think about this. You don't deserve God. 
and neither do I. And there is no way I'm re- I, every week as I study and as I prepare, every week I have a moment where, ah, uh, me? <laughs> and then the things that I do, yep, I don't deserve any of that. And God looks at me and sees and sends his son back into my head. And because of the grace of God, I can stand before him complete and enjoy and joyfully respond to what he's given and the opportunities that are there. I'm released. I'm set free. As his child, I can live in joy with nothing holding me back. Do you have those moments of reckless joy to do whatever he's put in your heart passionately to, in, just to dive in. We, the only way we can go boldly is if we go joyfully. So there are many times that all of us don't feel joy. I'm assuming I'm right with that. That the emotions and the difficulties of life beat us down. The circumstances, I've had a few days like that. Uh, you just don't feel joy filled. That's not the reservoir, the heart issue that we that we can land on. And you know why? Because all those things the world threatens and the world takes away. But if we can respond in joy from the heart, that means it's that too is from God. And even when I feel emotionally drained, there's still joy that he gives that I can live in and pursue. Not happy, fuzzy, wonderful, jump up and down joy, but there's joy that sustains and the joy that gets me through only what God can get me through. So, let me close with this. How, do, how does what Jesus did empower your joy? How, how can it empower joy? You can live, I can live a joy-filled life amidst the uncertainties with the assurance of my destiny in Christ. I can live joyfully knowing that my identity is defined by Jesus, uh, by Jesus who provides ultimate worth all of the time. I can live joyfully knowing that I might lose everything in this life under the sun, that there are no guarantees And I don't have to live a fantasy life detached from reality within the midst of that. Because what he gives me, I can live confidently assured that my destiny is secure and he will provide what it is that I need. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Pay attention to how Jesus did it. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When you are at the deepest... And when the emotions aren't there to fill out the joy, you don't feel happy joy, then the writers of Scripture then give us this reminder. 
Jesus didn't have it, the feeling of happy joy when he looked at the cross? Absolutely not. In fact, if anything, he said, Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me. The fuzzy feelings weren't there, but there was a joy. How? Why? Where? In looking to God, the Father, for his plan and seeing it's worth it all. It is worth it to have you, God, in the end. That's the kind of vision that Jesus had, to try to look at even the most difficult days with Jesus as the model is our opportunity this morning. No, when you don't feel joy, also remember this. <laughs> anybody, anybody commute and have to take I-35W through downtown? Okay. Do you feel joy when you're going through that? Probably not, right? I don't want to. <laughs> okay. Bob does. He, <laughs> he, he takes a bus. Okay, so he's learned something else. Any illustration breaks down, okay? <laughs> But, you know, you look at a massive construction project, uh, and, and if you have to drive through it, you're probably not feeling a whole lot of joy in what's taking place. Now, if you also uh, look at the, uh, you know, what the city and the, what the state is saying, here's, what, you know, the pictures online, here's what it's going to look like someday, right? <laughs> so maybe as you commute, you can keep telling yourself, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Someday this will be over. Someday it's going to be so much smoother and easier to get through this part of town. It's worth it all to get through this time so that someday it can be better. Even if, as you're commuting, you realize it's going to get worse before it gets better because of all this hassle. And spring is just around the corner. You better believe it's going to get worse, right? But someday it's going to get better because the state tells me so. Believer, there are many times where you don't have joy that God is in the midst of doing something, and it may get worse before it gets better. But Jesus says there is a reason, there is a point to the construction project that is happening. Count it all joy. Brothers, sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God doesn't waste anything. The testing, the trials, nobody likes it. It doesn't feel good. But there can be a consideration response to God's work that is filled with joy because God says he's going to finish it. And God says there is a point to it. And he is at work doing something in me that I cannot do on my own. I am completely dependent on what God is going to finish in me. So I can hold on to the promises he gives me knowing that's not in vain. God is going to finish what he started and that releases me, not just joy some other day in the future, but releases me into joy now. That's one example. I hope it's helpful as a reminder that even if you don't feel emotional joy, there is a greater joy as we rely, as we depend on God's work, that he is at it 
and he's going to finish what he started. So with that in mind, let's close in prayer. Lord, we do realize we're honest. We want to be honest before you that life at times can be so hard and the testing so extreme that we don't feel joy. Lord, we are grateful for the truth of your word as it points us back to your all-sufficient work in our lives. Remind us, Lord, that the struggle is worth it, that you are going to finish what you started. Remind us, Lord, that you're good enough and that we're not. Do your work, God, to refine us, to produce a joy that grows up. And we realize that that purpose produces something. Steadfastness, Lord. We want to stand solid and secure in the gospel, knowing that we've been redeemed and set free to live for you in a way that is filled with joy. God, do your work in us, in our families, in the life of our church, so that you could be honored in ways that far surpass just settling for happiness that far surpass anything this world has to offer. Enable us, Lord, to live joyfully, even in the struggles, so that you can be made known, so that people see, wow, there is something different. It has substance to it. That God is real, and that uh, laying my life before you in response to the gospel is worth it all, because what I gain is joy that nothing in this world can take away. Lord, do your work to refine us and speak to us here today as we end in worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you're looking for more of our sermon audio, check out our previous podcast, Tomb Runners. For upcoming events, check out our website at mycityonahill.org. Bruce Bentley will be back next week to continue the series, Finding Jesus in Ecclesiastes. 